months have been talking a little bit about um, restoration and what that means for us and uh, the, the vision that God's put in our hearts and uh, how sometimes in our lives, not on purpose, but we, we kind of start living a certain way because um, we, you know, just the, the, the things of life, the busyness, the disappointments, the struggles, and just sometimes the cares, going to work every day, it kind of chisels away at our lives, our faith, our hope. And we, we kind of just start going through motions. And before long, we start living a certain way that really is contrary to what the kingdom of God has called us to live like, and we don't recognize it. And so we talked about the difference between being an American and being a member of the citizen of heaven or kingdom of God. We talked about holy living, not holy H-O-L-Y, but holy as in giving our whole selves to God for his whole will so that the whole world can hear about him. And uh, then last week we talked about the church being a family. And many times we amen that idea that the church is a family and we love it and it's all Norman Rockwell and we're all like warm and fuzzy. And, but, you know, it's one thing to say, yeah, the church is a family, I love it. Um, but it doesn't matter what you feel about church. Church is a family. And we act like it's a family whether or not we feel like it or not. And so we kind of went through that. Actually, Banning Leapshire went through that with us. And now today, we're starting, as we talked about in the video announcements, the draw the circle, the 40 days of prayer focus. And um, I have been excited for this. I believe God's going to do some things in your life personally, in my life, in our lives corporately as a body over these 40 days. And uh, the book Draw the Circle by Mark Batterson is just a collection of daily devotions. So for the next 40 days, these readings are designed to get us to think outside the box to get us to, sh to maybe shake up our faith a little bit where it's become dry and routine, this is going to get you to see the bigger picture of what God has in store for your life. He did not save you to work a nine-to-five job, you know, raise some kids, and then go to heaven someday. He saved you to turn your world upside down so that everywhere you go, you take the power of restoration with you to bring healing to the sick, to bring hope to those who are broken, and to bring life to those who are dead. So when you go to work from nine to five, you may think you're going there to do a certain job, but you are a carrier of the Spirit of God, the life of God, the power of God, everywhere you go, and it ought to flow out of you. The way that Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego rose to the top in their government positions in Babylon, you ought to rise to the top where you are too. You ought to be the best, the most creative, because the Spirit of God lives in you. And so here's the thing. Either this book is a book of fairy tales or it's truth. Because the claims that Jesus made do not allow us to take this book and just think of it as some nice book with some good stories. Either the things that happened in this book should happen in our lives too or it's all false. It can't be partially true. Jesus doesn't allow it. He made the claims that it's either all true or none of it's true. And if our lives don't look like this, James said, this book, we hold it up, it's like a mirror. And if I look in this mirror and I'm like, well, my life doesn't have that kind of power in it. This needs to change, not this. Amen, I'll help you out. 
And so, you know, I don't know, but Marlene preached a, a few weeks ago on Father's Day, and I wasn't here, but she in that service said that she was believing God to impregnate people with vision and passion and with uh, possibility, and I wasn't here, but when I heard that on the recording that I watched, I'm like, ooh, I'll take that. And uh, I think it happened because I see so much possibility. I don't know what you see when you look around. I don't know if your life is so bad right now that you just like all you can see is problems, but all I see is possibility. And I am excited about what God is doing and the future that lies ahead of us as a body, as a community. And so if you haven't caught on to that yet, I pray that you over the next 40 days will get pregnant with that vision and possibility of what God can do. Because he is way bigger than any of us can imagine today. Amen. That's good. So today, before we jump into what I want to share with you, I want us to watch just a short video clip from Mark Batterson, the author of Draw the Circle, and he's going to share a little bit about what this 40-day prayer transformation is all about. Two decades ago, I was walking by an old dilapidated building on Capitol Hill, and God gave me a vision. He said, this crack house would make a great coffee house. The problem is, our church had very little money and very few people. So for five years, we circled that property in prayer. We finally purchased that piece of promised land in 2002, and in 2006, that crack house turned into Ebenezer's Coffee House. It's been voted the number one coffee house in Washington, D.C. We've served more than a million customers and given more than a million dollars in net profits to kingdom causes. The rooftop of Ebenezer's is one of my favorite places to pray. When you pray in a place where God has already done a miracle, it's hard not to have faith. Here's what I believe, prayer is the difference between the best you can do and the best God can do. Prayer is the difference between you fighting for God and God fighting for you. And in this instance, prayer is the difference between a crack house and a coffee house. Over the next 40 days, we're gonna dream big, pray hard, and think long. We're gonna pray like it depends on God and work like it depends on us. And I believe God is going to show up and show off His grace and His goodness in your life. Well, welcome to the 40-Day Prayer Challenge. It's time to draw the circle. In 1996, I was a rookie pastor. National Community Church was meeting in a DC public school. Our average attendance was two dozen people. And I had just started reading through the book of Joshua. I got to verse three in chapter one, and a promise jumped off the page and into my spirit. Here's what it says. I will give you every place you set your foot, just as I promised Moses. When I read that verse, I felt like God was prompting me to pray a circle all the way around Capitol Hill. It was a hot and humid August day. 
so it would have been much easier to stay in the air conditioning, but I felt like I needed to take a step of faith. So I did a 4.7 mile prayer walk all the way around the perimeter of Capitol Hill. And I share that story in the Circle Maker series, the prequel to Draw the Circle, but God has done even more miracles in the last few years. So let me give you an update. Honestly, I wasn't even praying for property. I had no idea 20 years later we'd be one church with eight campuses. I had no idea that God would entrust us with not just Ebenezer's Coffee House, but half a dozen properties worth more than $50 million. And it's no coincidence that all of them are right on that prayer circle, including a $29 million castle on Capitol Hill that I'll tell you about in session two. Now let me go back to that promise. Over the next five weeks, we're going to dream big, pray hard, and think long. We're gonna circle the promises of God in prayer. I wanna use the book of Joshua as our backdrop, and it starts with the first promise in the first chapter. I will give you every place you set your foot as I promised Moses. I know there are those who would say, Mark, this promise was for Joshua, not you. And I understand that. The last thing I want to do is take the promises of God out of context. But let me push back on this point. This promise wasn't for Joshua in the first place. It was for Moses. But God transferred that promise. There is a transitive property to the promises of God. In fact, 2 Corinthians 1.20 says, no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. Our problem is not over-believing the promises of God. Our problem is failing to state claim to the promises God has given us. Jeremiah 1 says that God is watching over his word to perform it. Isaiah 55 says, his word does not return void. He wants to deliver on his promises, but we have to circle them in prayer. So that gives you a little taste of what we're talking about over these 40 days. And Mark wrote a book called The Circle Maker, and it's a series that we've studied as a church in the past. And that story is about uh, a man named Honey. And the Jewish Talmud, if you're familiar with Jewish history or Jewish culture, is a collection of writings and a collection of theology. It's the law of God and it's stories that have been passed down through Jewish history throughout the course of Jewish history. And there's a story in there from the first century B.C. where a, a drought threatened the nation of Israel. Now, you have got to understand, biblically, a drought is a bigger deal than a drought here in South Dakota. I mean, I know we talk about drought and it has an impact on farmers, but uh, there's government subsidies and there's ways to help and there are things. I mean, for drought in biblical times, no rain, no food, you die. I mean, that's the, the bottom line. So the, when God promises his people, if you obey me, I'll make sure you have rain. But if you disobey me, I'll withhold the rain. That's a big deal. Okay, and so this drought comes upon the land and the entire generation is threatened. 
There is a man by the name of Honi that the Jewish Talmud tells us, tells us has a faith like Elijah. And the people of God then go to him and ask him to pray for rain so that they can be spared from the drought. Well, Honi didn't just pray. He literally drew a circle in the sand. That's what the story says. And knelt down in the circle and he prayed this prayer. Sovereign Lord, I swear before your great name that I will not leave this circle until you have mercy upon your children. Now that's a bold prayer to pray. And I don't know if he got a word from God before he prayed it or if he just believed in God as a good father enough to pray that prayer. But the, the Sanhedrin, the, the Jewish leaders of the religious leaders of the day, didn't like his prayer. They thought his prayer was too bold. But I believe God loves bold prayers because I believe that bold prayers actually honor God. Because it says to him, I believe what you've said in your word, enough to actually voice it back to you in prayer. And I just have the faith enough to trust that you are who you say you are and you're going to do what you say you can do. Well, God answered Honey's prayer and the entire generation was saved. And so I don't know what the Sanhedrin's reaction to that was, but it's hard, hard to argue with answered prayer. And so the challenge over these next 40 days is for us to begin to pray some bold prayers. The idea of 40 is a biblical season. It's repeated over and over throughout the history of the, the scriptures. And the, the flood lasted 40 days and 40 nights. And Moses was on Mount Sinai in the presence of God for 40 days. The 12 spies, when they went in to spy out the land of Israel, well, the land of Canaan at the time, when they went in to spy out the land, it was for a period of 40 days. When Nineveh, when Jonah preached to them, God gave them 40 days to repent. And then when Jesus was fasting and praying in the wilderness, how long did he pray? Yep, 40 days, your quick study. And so 40 days is not like a magical wand type of thing, but it's obviously a biblically significant period of time. And I believe it's the type of pattern or the type of time for us to begin to establish a habit of prayer. It's not my desire for us for the next 40 days to learn to pray bold prayers and then at day 41 to stop. My hope is that over the next 40 days, we learn to live the way this book calls us to live and we transform our world around us. There are some ground rules to prayer that he covers in his book and I'm gonna cover for you right now. And the first of that is, God is not a genie in a bottle and his wish is not our command. Our wish is not his command, excuse me. And so this isn't about us telling God what he needs to do or that God should somehow line up with our agenda. This is about spending time in his presence, spending time in his word and getting his agenda so that we can pray for his kingdom to come and his will to be done the way that he commanded us to do. When we pray, there's a two-part litmus test that you should use when you pray. In other words, if your prayers don't fit this criteria, you probably shouldn't pray them. The first one is that our prayers need to be in the will of God. 
Now, I know that there is a uh, name it, claim it philosophy where, you know, you just say whatever you want and God will be obligated to fulfill it as long as you can somehow kind of get a scripture somewhere in here that lines up with it. Um, And that's an extreme teaching. That's not what we're talking about. But there's another extreme that's kind of birthed out of that era. Like what happens is we make an error in theology or in practice in the church. And what happens is, is a reaction to that, we tend to make an error clear to the other direction. So instead of just, you know, coming back to the center and actually taking the good thing that maybe just went a little too far, we go all the way to the other side. And now, to pray according to God's will, this is what we do. Well, Lord, if it be your will, and that's an extreme error as well, Because this book says you and I have the mind of Christ. We can know what the will of the Father is. The more you read this book, the more you understand what his will is. So that we can walk around not praying, Lord, if it be your will, but we can get in his presence, we can get in his word. The Spirit of God reveals to us even the deep mysteries of God, and we can walk around actually praying his will be done because we know what it is. And we still have to pray it because he wants to partner with us for his will to be done. So our prayers have to be in the will of God, and they also need to be for the glory of God. Our prayers are not about us. I mean, most of the time our prayers do center around us and our needs and our families and our sickness and our this. But ultimately, anything we ask for from God ought to be so that God is glorified. And so those are the two criteria that we're going to keep reminding ourselves of as we walk through this 40-day period. Mark gave us a statement that we're going to repeat over and over and over again. And it's the fact that in order for God's will to be done, in order for God's glory to be shown on the earth, we need to pray like it depends on God and work like it depends upon us. There are some churches that they emphasize the working aspect, and there are some churches that emphasize the praying aspect, and yet God emphasizes both. He says, all believers, not what you feel called to. Well, I'm a more of a prayer person. No, you're a child of God. You're a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. You're called to pray like it depends on God. I want you to think about your current prayer life this week. And if God answered every prayer that you prayed this week, how busy would he be? That'll tell us whether or not we're praying like it depends on God. Now, it's not enough for us to just pray, oh God, heal my marriage, heal my marriage, heal my marriage, and not do anything then in our marriage to connect with our spouse or to line up with what the Bible says husbands do, wives do. If we're not going to do that, you can pray till you're blue in the face. You've got to actually line up your life with what he says also. So we pray like it depends on God. We work like it depends on us. And God does even more than we can do by ourselves. That's the goal of these 40 days. The book, The Circle Maker, ends with another story. And it's a story of a man named Gypsy Smith. His name is Gypsy Smith. He wasn't a gypsy that I'm aware of. But Gypsy Smith was actually an evangelist. He was a preacher. And he actually traveled back and forth across the Atlantic Ocean preaching in America. Forty-five times he traveled back and forth back in about the 1860s. Okay? So back and forth traveled, preached to millions of people in the United States or in America at the time. And he wasn't formally educated 
But he actually lectured at Harvard, and he was invited by two different presidents to come to the White House on different occasions. And one day, a group of people came to him and asked him how they could be used by God the same way that he was used by God. Gypsy gave this answer, and it's a simple answer, but it's probably the most profound thing we could ever do. This is what he said. If you want to be used mightily by God, go home, lock yourself in your bedroom, kneel down with a piece of chalk, draw a circle around yourself, and pray fervently for God to start a revival within that circle. Can I, can I tell you something? For revival to hit our nation, it doesn't have to start in the White House. It has to start in your circle. For revival to start in your family, it doesn't have to start with your spouse or your kids or your parents. It has to start in your circle. In fact, really, the only thing you have control over is your circle. And so you draw that circle. Now, some people, I've read the reviews, don't like the book The Circle Maker or Draw the Circle because it's new age. This isn't about literally drawing a circle and standing in it. Let me just tell you that. If you draw chalk circles on the ground and stand in them, it will not make your prayers any more effective. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about repetitive. We're talking about continuing to ask and seek. And before you say, well, but the Bible says don't be repetitive in your prayer. It does say keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. It doesn't say just keep using the same words over and over and over and over and over again and think that you will be heard because of your repetition. Okay, so it's not a magic trick. This isn't a mantra. This isn't a a, a methodology that you need to buy into. This is a faith that you need to latch onto and put into practice. And so you don't have to draw a circle. You don't have to kneel down, but you do have to be intentional. You do have to say, I'm going to be persistent. And so I'd encourage you to set a time, to set a place where you are going to pray every day. Because if you just say, well, you know, I'll get around to it. Unless you go down in the tracks that we have for the state fair and buy one, get one of those round to its you probably won't, okay? So you, if you've never worked at the state fair, that just went over your head and it's okay, I'm sorry. Um, but we actually have little tracks that are a circle around to it so that you get around to praying because we all say we're going to pray, but you actually have to make the time to pray. So be intentional. And I want to encourage you to write down the answers, the journals, the things that God says to you. Pay attention to what God says. Value what God says. And we're going to talk through some of that. And I want you to share with me, either in person or by text or by email or by phone, the the answers to prayer that you start seeing as we walk through this 40 days so that we can encourage others with the stories that God has in your life. I believe the Scripture teaches us that God has designed our prayers to be a part of His will being done on the earth. That does not mean that God is not all-powerful. It just means God has chosen to partner with human beings to see His will done on earth. He could do it without us. He doesn't need us. He wants us to be involved. He wants partnership, relationship. So if we think, you know, God's just going to do what God's going to do, whether we pray or not, we do not know our Bibles. Because God has called us to partner with him in prayer for his kingdom to come and his will to be done on earth as it's done in heaven. 
we're reminding God of his promise, not because he's forgetful, but because he's a good father and we trust that he wants to reveal and do what he's promised. He wants to deliver on the promises that he makes. Jesus taught on prayer again in Matthew chapter 18, which by the way, Jesus taught a lot on prayer. And it's interesting of all of the things that Jesus did with his apostles and disciples, the only thing there's a record of them asking how to teach them how to do is to pray. Isn't that interesting? He doesn't say, I mean, they did ask that one time, why couldn't we cast that demon out? But do you know what his response was? Why you couldn't cast the demon out? This kind comes out by prayer and fasting. So it was back again to the understanding that there's something about prayer that you guys aren't getting yet. And when you start getting that, you're going to start seeing the results. Okay, so it all comes back to prayer. Matthew chapter 18, Jesus says, Truly, I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. That word bind is actually a legal term. It's a contractual term to bind something together as the same way you would sign on a dotted line. That's what that word means. It's like God's signature. And so we are in essence, putting a contract in the spiritual realm on things that God wants to do in our city or in our families or in our nation. So what we're doing is we're saying, God, here's your will. You've revealed it to us by Jesus dying by the cross. And we start carrying out the sentence or we start exercising the authority of God that he did. We put a contract on what God wants to do in our city. And the more we do that in the spiritual realm, it begins to break chains in the physical realm. And then we see the answers to our prayers. Do you know in Revelation, it actually talks about the prayers of God being collect, or prayers of the saints of God being collected in bowls in heaven? I mean, there aren't just random, you know, phraseologies in the Bible. It's all there for a reason. And it's almost as if when the bowl fills up and it gets poured out, it's like then the answer comes. The story of the persistent widow who continued to go back to the judge until she got justice. And Jesus said, will my people cry out to me like that day and night? When I return, when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on the earth? Will he find a people that just keep believing with shameless audacity that he wants to do what he said he will do? Or are we going to look at our situations and reason in our minds, well... I guess that's not what God wants to do. I mean, I prayed for someone once and they still died, so I guess God doesn't want to heal. Is that what we're going to do or are we going to take this book and not our experience? Because that's what that is. Whenever we take our bad experience and we make a theology of it, we're making theology by experience and not by this book. So I'm going to challenge you. Read this book. Pray this book. Live this book. Don't do what I say. Don't do what Mark Batterson says. Do what this book says. But I think you'll find that what we're asking of us over this next 40 days actually comes from this book. And so be encouraged by those things. Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 7, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. Now, some of your translations will say, ask and you will receive, seek and you will find, and knock and the door will be open to you. And, you know, with no offense to the translators of the scripture, I don't think that's a very good way to write that. Because these words are written in a Greek tense called present imperative. 
And what that means, if you study the Greek language of the day, is that means a continual action. Not you just ask one time and you'll receive. Not you just seek one time and you'll find. Not just knock one time and the door will be open. It means a continual action. If you keep on asking, you'll receive. If you keep on seeking, you'll find. If you keep on knocking, the door will be open to you because everyone who keeps on asking receives and everyone who keeps on seeking finds and everyone who knocks and keeps on knocking, the door will be open. That's what Jesus said. I didn't say that. I didn't make it up. Nobody on TBN made it up. Jesus said it. That's what he taught. And we've been conditioned by our world and by our disappointments and by our own flesh because our flesh gets tired and we don't like to persist. One of the most spiritual things you can do is the right thing when you feel like not doing it. See, sometimes we're waiting for the Holy Spirit to give us the unction to do it. Well, Holy Spirit, if you just give me the desire to pray. Here's the thing. If you just say, you know what? You called me to pray. I don't feel like praying, but I'm going to pray anyway, and it's going to be dry, but I don't care because I'm going to pray. I'm going to obey you. And as you start doing that because you believe the word, because you don't believe in prayer if you just talk about prayer. You believe in prayer if you pray. And so if you start doing that, you'll find the unction starts to come. But we're waiting. Here, here's the problem. We're waiting for God to give us the desire to do it. God's waiting for us to act. Who's going to blink first? Well, hopefully us, because God's not going to act until we ask. Because he said, I'm going to partner with you. I mean, test me. I want to do this. I do. I want to do more in your families than you're asking me for. So even end your prayers with, God, don't let my little prayers limit you. Do immeasurably more than what I would ask or imagine today. End your prayers that way. It's in the Bible. Because then you just say, God, I don't want to limit you. Whatever you want to do, do it. Blow my mind. But the problem is in the church, much of what we do in the church world happens without God. It doesn't, I mean, you got to listen to this whole thing. It doesn't take God for us to show up on Sunday morning at 10 o'clock, sing some songs, and go home. It doesn't take God to do that. We can do that. We're humans. It doesn't take God for me to put a sermon together and maybe wow you with all of the intellect that I have and all of the things. It doesn't take God for that. It doesn't take God for us to go out and do some good things for people and serve the poor. It doesn't take God for that. We can do a lot of what we do without him, but I don't want to. I don't want to. He needs to empower what we do. He needs to breathe on what we do. And I think he's got plans and dreams and visions for this church that we're going to be like, that's crazy. Sort of like what he asked from the prophet in the Old Testament. Hey, I want you to walk around naked for a while. Okay, but now, by the way, that's Old Covenant. So if God tells you to do that, don't do that. But, I mean, God told, God told Hosea to marry a prostitute. Huh? I mean, I, I don't look forward to the day that someone sits across my desk and says, God told me to marry this prostitute. What do you think? I don't know what to tell you because it's in the book, so it's in the realm of possibility. But that's the thing. God asked some people to do crazy stuff that you just don't do. You don't do that stuff. That's not logical. That's not practical. That's not going to solve your problem. Or... Maybe it will. 
I mean, who puts the worshipers in the front of their army when they go to battle? That doesn't make any sense. That's the God we serve. He takes the foolish things of man to confound the wise. He doesn't do it our way. And if we will quiet ourselves over the next 40, 40 days, I believe God's going to put some ideas in your head that are going to frighten you. Frighten you. And they should. Because if they come from God, they should be like, there ain't no way I can do that. Perfect. Because if the idea that you have to do something for God is within the realm of your possibility, it's probably not him. I mean, that doesn't mean we shouldn't encourage people and do those things. But God's going to give you dreams that if he doesn't reveal, if he doesn't move, it's not going to happen. It's impossible. Because that's who he is. He wants to do immeasurably more than what we could ask or even imagine. This verse, this passage of Scripture, has become an important passage for us as a church. Finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice. Strive for full restoration. Encourage one another. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. This vision that God's put in my heart for this last eight months is about us as a church believing and striving for full restoration. What that means is we refuse to settle or believe for anything less than all God has promised in Christ. Let me say that again. We refuse to settle or believe for anything less than all God has promised through Christ. In Isaiah chapter 49, there's a passage of scripture that I'm not going to read today, but I'd encourage you to read it. It talks about the restoration of Israel. And I believe that the same thing God promised for Israel is the same thing he promises for us. I mean, God's promises are all yes and amen in Christ. And in Isaiah 49, I love the part where he promises restoration to even the most desolate places in Israel the most desolate places in Israel. And that's what I'm praying God impregnates us as a body with, that the most desolate places, we would recognize that the Holy Spirit is lighting that place up. A few weeks ago, I had a, a chance to meet with a young man that uh, I, I've shared a little bit about with you. His name was Jason, and he was passing through on his way on, to North Dakota on a missions trip. And he grew up in Canada. He was a Mennonite, didn't believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit or the gifts of the Spirit at all. And somehow he worked with a guy in New York City who brought in John Bevere, and John Bevere taught on the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And while John Bevere was teaching, he was sitting there, and he, he told me this story. This is his testimony. Of, and he's, he's processing with the Lord, I don't believe what he's teaching. I don't believe in this. And as he's wrestling with the Lord, he begins to pray out loud, and he begins to pray in tongues. He gets baptized in the Holy Spirit while John Bevere's teaching. He really doesn't know what to do with this, but he starts noticing as he gets on the subway to go into work every day that the people in the subway are like illuminated. He said, it's like they're lit up. And I, I don't know what to do, so I just start asking them, hey, you know, is there, you know, is there something I can pray for you about? And he said one time there was a lady who was lit up. There were two people in the subway lit up, and he had a pain in his back. And so he just walked over and said, you know, do you by chance have some kind of pain or problem in your back? She did. She had a condition he prayed for. She was healed on the subway. 
That's what we're talking about. Living so intentional that you expect to see people lit up. See, we don't expect that. We just expect, you know, well, God, just give us enough to get through the day. Give me the strength for today. And he's like, I want to light some people up in your life. This idea of the most desolate places. I don't want you to go home and brainstorm who are the most desolate people in your life or the most desolate problems in your life. But it, it's been happening for me. When people start telling me a story about a situation in their life, it's like it lights up. I don't see it, but something on the inside of me just says, start circling that prayer for them. When I was in Pennsylvania, I met with a lady, and she's like telling me about her kids, and I, and I got my phone out, and I started typing, and I said, I'm still listening to you. I'm writing down the names of your kids because I believe I need to start praying for what you're asking for to happen in your kids' lives. And she got so excited. She's like, oh, let me spell them for you. And so she just, and don't be afraid to tell people what you're about to do. Now, I don't pray through my list every day, but it's in my phone, so it's everywhere. Some days I just go, God, Everything I put on that list, I'm just circling it today. I mean, somewhere along the line, Paul got the idea to take off a sweaty handkerchief and put it on someone and they got healed. So, I mean, I don't want to limit God to my ability to have time to pray through that because the list is getting long. And I'm like, Holy Spirit, you know, can you do all this? <laughs> I mean, this is a lot of big stuff. And these aren't like, you know, I've got a problem with my toenail kind of thing. These are big things that I'm believing God for. And all I can tell you is, is it lights up on the inside of me. And so here's what I want you to do. Just start living intentionally. Just start looking for the Holy Spirit to illuminate you. I was sitting in an executive board meeting at James Valley this last year, and we were talking, and I, I made a comment about the way people maybe would react to uh, a change. And I said to the, the people in the room, I said, oh, don't worry, to the principal. She's sitting right beside me. And I said, don't worry, it'll all blow over by October. And she turned and she looked at me and she's like, October? She's like, I've been praying that this year is like no other year we've ever had at this school. Didn't think anything of it. Was reading through Draw the Circle the next morning. And I was, I don't know what day I was on, but I started reading. And instantly the Holy Spirit sat down beside me. I know he's in me, but he sat down beside me and he said, why would you ever say that's how people are going to respond? Is that the faith level you have? And I, I, it literally has launched a prayer. I, I was so convicted that I went to the superintendent and I said, I think we need to pray. I think we need to pray not just for this building project. We need to pray for all of the things that are happening uh, in the school year ahead. We need to pray for vision. We need to pray for the students. We need to pray. I feel convicted. I should have never said that. We shouldn't expect bad things to happen. We should expect God to show up from day one. And then after it starts, from 40 days, 40 school days, we're going to pray again. We're going to pray for 40 minutes every day for the first 40 school days that God shows up in the lives and transforms the hearts of students because only God can do that. And so God rebuked me and he used that. And the amazing thing is, later that day, after we just set all this up and I'm like, can, what, can I do this? Do I have permission? He said, yep, go for it, I'm with you. The school received a million dollar match 
so that anyone who made a new pledge for their new building, they would be matched up to a million dollars. And I joked with uh, Mr. Held, I said, we haven't even prayed yet. We just talked about praying. Imagine when we pray what God can do. And that's the type of thing you need to listen for God to even rebuke you for at work. All, you come home from work, you complain about that person at work, you complain about that situation, complain with your coworkers, stop. I mean, either you serve a giant God that wants to intervene in your daily life or you don't. I mean, either you're in a rough patch of life right now. I love what Sandy did today. I'm just going to praise God. I feel so overwhelmed, but I have to look to you. I mean, we have to realize that we have to stop waiting for the sky to clear and the sun to come out. The kingdom of God advances by force, and violent people lay hold of it. I don't have to wait for the feeling. I don't have to wait for the sun to come out. I'm going to pray. And I hope that that's what gets in your heart over these next months as we, or these next days as we pray together over the next 40 days. So look for him. Listen for the addictions, the bondages, the most unreachable family members and friends and enemies that God would set the captives free, that God would bring restoration to every person that you start circling, to every circumstance that you start circling. But there's another part of this where we are as a body praying for restoration. And I know, here's the thing, I know that I have laid out some crazy ideas for you. I have. I mean, I know that when we meet this week on Wednesday night and we're going to talk about some things, I know that what I'm looking at and asking is the craziest thing that you have ever heard anybody ask you. But here's the thing. I'm not the idea guy. That's not who I am. I'm the practical guy. Pastor John's the idea guy. He brings me ideas and I shoot them down. I tell him why that's not going to work. I tell him the problem. I tell him that's not going to happen. Here's what's not, that's not practical. That's not reasonable. God, that's not going to, we can't do it that way. And he's actually taught me a lot over the years to, actually on my phone it says, be slow to speak. Do you see that? Because sometimes he shoots me an idea and I shoot it down before he's even done presenting the idea. And he's like, you know, it would just help me if you just listened. There's some practical things there. So I just did. I started listening. And I didn't even start shooting down his ideas. And I learned that he would learn to shoot down his own ideas if they weren't God. <laughs> and if they were God, then they happened. And some crazy things started happening. The craziest of all is that I started being the idea guy. And I'm afraid to even tell people out loud things. When I told our contenders some of the things I was thinking, and if you think the idea for, uh, you know, a downtown building, you know, Mark Batterson circled it, coffee house. When I started having an idea for a downtown building, that's kind of what I thought, that God wanted us to go down there, have a building downtown, do some things downtown, do an outreach, reach people downtown, you know, I, and but I feel like the longer we've progressed, that God's saying, I'm not asking you to just go down there part-time. I want you to go down there. Now, I can't tell you for sure that this is God. All I can tell you is this is what I feel like God is putting in my heart. I believe it's God. I know it's crazy. I know it's weird. But I believe as a church, 
God is calling us to model, to live, to proclaim, and to carry the message of restoration everywhere, to believe it's possible, to live like it's possible. I believe he's asking us to restore prodigals and to restore elder brothers. I believe he's asking us to restore those who have been caught in sin. Galatians 6.2 says, gently restore those who have been caught in sin. Instead of looking down on people that have walked away from church, I believe we're called to restore them into relationship with God, not by looking down on them, but by getting down with them and bringing them back into the kingdom. When Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 7, 1, do not judge, he did not mean that you were not supposed to tell people that there was sin in their lives. That's not judging. Jesus said, because if you go on later, he says, deal with the log in your eye so that you can see clearly to remove the speck in someone else's eye. What that means is that person that you're looking at in the world and you think they got a big log in their eye, what Jesus Jesus is saying is actually that's a speck. You got the log. You need to make sure when you go to them, you go with an attitude, you go with a heart that remembers I got a big thing right here and I need to be gentle as I restore them. That's what it means. It doesn't mean wear a big sign, stand up on a soapbox and say God hates homosexuals. That's not what it says. It says that you're going to get down in the mud with someone and you're going to preach to them, you're going to help them, you're going to meet their needs and you're going to help bring restoration into their lives. If we want to be a church that's reaching people that no one else is reaching, we have to be willing to do what no one else is doing. Our vision for the future has to be greater than our memories of the past. And I don't know. I can't tell you that this is the only possible name for our church. I can't tell you this is the only possible location for our church. I can't tell you these are the only possible visions for our church. All I can tell you is God has put these crazy ideas in my head, and I need you to pray and fast and say, even go down and sit on a bench outside that building and walk around that building and say, God, I know there's a thousand other possibilities, but is this your possibility? Because we could sit here and we could brainstorm a hundred ideas together, or we could say, God, what do you want us to do? And even if it's the most outlandish thing, maybe he's just crazy enough to say, I want you to restore an old building in a high traffic area where everyone else is leaving. I want you to go in and I want you to show them that those people matter and the people you're going to reach in that building are people that no one else can reach. And maybe, maybe, just maybe, God's behind it all. Maybe he's not. Maybe he's got something else in store. And here's the thing. I don't know what it is, and I don't care what it is. I just know every day I do what God asks me to do. And I've started doing that back in September, and every day it feels like God gives me a bigger idea than the last one. I kind of want to stop. If I told you everything I feel like God's put in my heart, <laughs> you might ask me to leave. I just feel like God wants to do something bigger than this church has ever done before. And so over the next 40 days, I need you to ask him. I need you to quiet yourself. I need you to say, God, what do you want from us as a church? Where do you want us to go? I need you to pray like it depends on God, and I need you to work like it depends on you. Here's the thing. I mentioned it already today, but this offering basket every week, I was feeling overwhelmed by church planting, 
by reaching the loss, all of these outreaches, all of these things, God, the debt payoff. I'm like, God, where is all this money coming from? Because we've been praying about it, we've been circling it, and it sure would help if you'd just write us a check. Literally, this is my prayer time one day. And the, instantly, the passage of Scripture of the feeding of the 5,000 came to my mind. And God said, if you will put in what you have, and you will challenge people to put in what you have, even if it's a buck, even if it's a quarter, a dime, a penny, because what it says is, God, we don't have everything, but I got something. And it forces me every single Sunday to be intentional because every Sunday there's a different offering for a different part of this vision. So either God revealed that to me and he's challenged us to do it or he hasn't. And if he has, then last week when $4 came in for the church plan in Redfield, we missed it because there weren't four people here. Now, if you don't think God has said that to me and you think I am crazy and off my rocker, then you, you're free. You don't have to put anything in. But if God said this, he's not going to do his part if we're not willing to do our part. And our part is to work and to pray consistently and persistently. I've got one more scripture that I want to share with you. Look at this. The end of the world is coming soon, so be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. Be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. See, two years ago, God gave us this passage of scripture in a house of prayer. And he put this in our hearts and we began, we don't pray it all the time, but we continue to come back to it. And maybe those of you that were there that went that Tuesday night, maybe you don't recognize it in that translation. So let me read it in the NIV. The end of all things is near. So be alert and of sober mind so that you can pray. Pray like it depends on God. Above all, love each other deeply. And by the way, that has nothing to do with our emotions. In other words, it says don't let anything come between you, but deal with whatever it is the enemy tries to bring between you. Love each other deeply. Connect with each other because love covers over a multitude of sins. Each one of you, each one of you should use whatever gift you've received to serve others. As faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms, work like it depends on us. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and power forever and ever. In the will of God for the glory of God. That's what we're asking for. Would you stand with me? Over the next 40 days, I want to challenge you to pray some bold prayers, to live alert and sober, and be watching for the Holy Spirit, be listening for the Holy Spirit to start invading your life regularly. And I believe the plans that God has in store for us are going to start to be unfolded right before our eyes. And so, Father... My prayer for this body, for us, is that over these next 40 days that you literally begin to impregnate us with your desire, your dream, your passion, your vision for this city, for our lives, for our families. Holy Spirit, forgive us 
Forgive us for ever allowing the difficulties of our lives, whether at work or at home. For, forgive us for ever becoming cynical, forever getting to the place where we've, we've just lost hope. Restore hope to our hearts today. Remind us that if we follow you, the days in front of us are always greater than the days behind us. Give us faith to trust you. Give us faith to look to you. Give us faith to lean upon you. Holy Spirit, give us your heart, your passion for this body, for this city. Over these next 40 days, illuminate. Illuminate your vision in our lives. Now, God, over this body today, I pray your blessing. Lord, I pray that you would bless them. I pray that you would keep them. I pray that you would cause your face to shine on them. God, that you'd be gracious to them. Lift up your countenance on them. Strengthen them. Empower them to do your will. And give them peace through the power of your Holy Spirit. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If, if you haven't been prayed for yet,